Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thanks for downloading the King's Cast. Uh, we appreciate all our iTunes listeners and web, web uh, listeners. God bless you. The title of my message is the Jesus Surprise. The Jesus Surprise. I don't know whether you ever thought about this before. Some of you will know a little bit more about Jesus than others. But what, what was certainly true about the arrival and the appearance of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago was that he was an enormous surprise. He was an enormous surprise. Uh, Despite all of the stuff you'll hear at Christmas that speaks about his coming and they predicted it, and, and you find this throughout the Old Testament, that his coming was very much predicted. When he actually arrived, they still were very surprised by him. Very surprised by him. After centuries of preparation... They were very surprised by him. And I want to take a few minutes this morning just to talk about the kind of surprises that the people had when they met with Jesus. What's even more surprising is that generally the people who met Jesus were religious type people. That doesn't mean necessarily that they were people who went to church, but they had a religious mindset. They you know, believed in God and right and wrong and those sorts of things. That's what I mean by religious. And yet he surprised them no end. So I want to talk about the period that Jesus met with people, which was something like two to three years, maybe more. The time that he met with people and his effect upon them, a religious people meet an unknown God. Let me just bring these thoughts. What aspects of God's character revealed in Jesus Christ surprised people? Let me give you a few illustrations. First of all, the first thing that surprised people when they met Jesus was this. That he made friends with all the dodgy people in town. He befriended all of the fallen people. Very often in his ministry, he was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were... uh, they were, they were um, deceiving the uh, people. They weren't very good to them. They were taking more money than they should have. The first thing that astonished the people that met Jesus were the people on his Facebook uh, tally of friends. They were not the people you would expect to see on his Facebook page. The people he met with, 
the people he hung around with weren't the bishops, the archbishops, the ministers, the vicars, the priests. In fact, they were the people who caused him the most trouble. The people that he met with that were, that were part of his life were the broken, the sinful in, in their eyes, the people of their, of their generation. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is, uh, he, he goes to the house of Matthew Levi, who was considered, you know, a baddie. He was in league with the Romans. And he has a meal there. And the people say to him, what are you doing here? eating with these people. And he says, it's not, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. That's the, that's the problem. In John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 11, we read about a woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees are about to stone her, but Jesus lets her go free. On another occasion, Jesus is walking by and there's a little guy called Zacchaeus, who climbs a tree to see him and Jesus goes to his house. And yet he was the, he was the chief collaborator with the Romans. He was a chief tax collector. So the first thing that we learn about him, the first thing we learn about God through his life, is that God has friends you wouldn't believe. God is friendly with people who have not scored very high in life. And that ought to be good news. Because that ought to be good news for you and me who haven't scored terribly well in life. Haven't done all that well in life. Haven't kept the Ten Commandments like we should. Can it really be that God wants to be friends with people who haven't really been very holy in their life? And the answer in Jesus is yes. And the people were amazed by this. We read in the Gospels, it says, and they were amazed. They were amazed at the people that he hung around with. A religious people met a God that they didn't know. The God that they knew only really answered the prayers of the holy people or the devout people, the Pharisees. But in fact, in Jesus, we learn that God wants to be friendly with all people. So that's number one. Number two is this. Number one is that he was friendly with sinful people. He forgave their sins. Number two is that Jesus was willing and able to do impossible things. Sometimes, of course, we call these miracles. But he was able to do impossible things. In Matthew 8, he stills the storm. And what the disciples 
are recorded of saying is this in verse 27 of Matthew 8. It says, the men were amazed and they asked this question, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. He stood in the boat, he spoke to the storm, and it was stilled immediately. It's extraordinary for them. I want to suggest to you that they should not have been amazed by that. There was God on their boat. If God is in your boat, surely nothing is impossible for you. But that's not what they really believed. Not deep down inside their hearts. What do you believe? What do you believe? They were amazed by his power. That he was not only able to do extraordinary things, but that he was willing to do extraordinary things for them. We read earlier in Luke chapter 5, the man came with leprosy and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. I think that's the burning question for many, many people. I guess there are two of them. One, here I am in my life right now, faced with this impossible scenario. Can God do it? And in our faith and in our heart and in our singing, we say yes. But when we get home, we think no. Anyone know what I'm talking about? That in our times of exuberance together, we can believe God to do anything. But when it comes to the crunch, we're not really sure that he really can. Jesus surprised them by not just being a God in a book, but by being a God on their boat. And you don't need a God in a book, do you? You need a God on your boat. You don't need a God in a textbook. You need a God to go with you into this week who is not only able to do extraordinary things, but willing to do them as well. In my healing ministry, as I've traveled around, very often when people are healed, they immediately cry. They immediately cry. And even, you know, hardened men, when healed by Jesus Christ today, start to cry. Why do they cry? A whole number of reasons, I'm sure. They find it hard to believe. They're moved by the experience of receiving a miracle. But let me tell you, a little theory of mine, can I tell you? My little theory is that I think people cry when they get a miracle because they can't believe that God would do it for them. Can't believe that God would really do it for them. When you get a miracle... You get this idea, God knows where I live. When you get a miracle, you get this idea, God knows all about me. He's moved out of a book. He's moved into my boat. The people were amazed at him. And people are still amazed at him today. They're amazed by the fact that he forgives people. Even people like you and me. They're amazed... They were amazed and they are amazed that he shows himself in extraordinary ways. In Luke chapter 9, a spiritual affliction leaves a young boy and the 
The gospel writer records this. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That sense of amazement. How can you be amazed at God? Surely he could do anything he so wishes to do. So number one, he befriended broken people. He forgave their sins. Number two, he was willing and able to do impossible things for people, both then and also today. Number three, extraordinary, he suffered. He suffered. Oh, we're doing good here. He suffered. What a mind-blowing thought for the people 2,000 years ago and a mind-blowing thought for people today. That God should have tear ducts. That God should be a God who cries more tears than we ever could. That God might be a God who carries scars In the pivotal moment where Thomas and the others meet the Lord after the resurrection, he says, I want you to touch me. I'm not a ghost. And see the, the holes in my hand here. See the holes in my, in my feet. Put your finger in them. Listen to me. All throughout this world, there are thousands and thousands of gods there are thousands of gods. Ask any philosophy or religious student. There are thousands of gods. But there's only one God with scars. Only one God has scars or the others have gold and silver and jewels. But there's one God with scars. He's called Jesus. Scars. The people of Jesus' day did not really know God. They didn't know that he liked sinful people and could forgive them. They didn't know that he was powerful and able to do miraculous things and willing to do them. The third thing they didn't know about God, they didn't know that he was a God who suffered. And maybe you don't know about this God I'm talking about today. Maybe you don't know about the God with scars the God who not only watches you weeping, but weeps with you. The God who not only looks upon you suffering, but suffers with you. First Peter speaks a lot about the suffering of Christ. Chapter 2, talking about his suffering and said, He suffered leaving us an example that we might follow in his steps. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted or tested in every way, just as we are. You want to say it's all right for God? It's all right for God. He doesn't live on Wolfston Way. It's all right for God. It's all right for him. He doesn't have to pay council tax. 
It's all right for God. He's not dealing with this mechanic. It's all right for God. He doesn't struggle. He doesn't suffer. Listen to me today. He sure does. That's exactly what he's like. He does suffer. Because every time that you are in pain, just like a father and a son, when the children suffer, the parents suffer. So when we suffer, God also suffers. You turn on your TV and you watch any, any week of the year and your heart could be broken. By the way, can I just say this? I don't know how newsreaders do it sometimes. Day after day after day. Death after death after death. Disaster after disaster. Body after body. And if you're anything like me, you can only put up with so much of that, but then you have to flick it off. But God has no off switch. And God goes beyond where BBC News cameras go. God goes beyond Sky News' transmission. He goes to the very heart of, of, of all. And he suffers along with people. This was a shock to the people of Jesus' day. Jesus said one time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be crucified. Matthew chapter 16, and the very first thing that happens after that is Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, no, this is not going to happen to you. Why? Because Peter didn't really know. He didn't really know God. He had an unknown God. He was a religious person with an unknown God. And there are plenty of them today. And some sitting in this building now. And some listening uh, to this podcast. People who have a religious worldview, perhaps, but they don't really know that God is, is weeping for them. Does God really care about me? Does he even see me? God cannot fail to see you. He cannot fail to see you. He's a God who, who suffers. So he made friends with sinful people. He was powerful and willing to be, to intervene in people's lives. Number three, he, he knew what it was to suffer. Number four, he greatly differed with religious people. What a shock that must have been. What a shock it must have been to have a whole load of people who were teaching things about God and then God arrives in their midst and says, they do not represent me at all. What a shock. Many times he would come into contact with the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And these were the people who were supposed to communicate the character of God to the people. 
I guess a bit like ministers and church leaders are supposed to do today to a varying degree of success and failure both then and now. But when Jesus arrived, you would have thought, would you not, that he would have been right in there with those guys. You would have thought that he would have had so much in common with them. But in fact, they were his worst enemies. People talk about Jesus gentle and meek and mild. Are you kidding? Have you, have you read the Bible? Oh, Jesus is just so loving and kind. Well, he was loving and kind until he came across some religious people who were not representing God correctly. And then you see him. On one occasion it says this, he made a whip. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, how you love this little child. He's with a whip, get out! Wow, we didn't know, we didn't know this. Turning the tables over, throwing them out. Why? What, what would have made him so mad? Because they were not representing God properly. It was the only thing that, you know, got him. Turned him into something a bit dangerous. It says this, when Jesus had finished teaching the crowds, Matthew chapter 7, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What a surprise. I want to say this to you. It was true then. It's true now. You can meet people today who claim to know about God and claim even to know about the Christian God. But their actions, their lifestyle and even the things they teach, they do not represent Jesus Christ. He is still an unknown God to them. And God is not in the realm of uh, tradition and religion and ritual. He's in the realm of relationship. And he wants to have a relationship with you. I remember the first time someone told me about Jesus when I was 18 years old. They said to me, I just want to tell you about Jesus. And by the way, I'm not religious. I thought, are you kidding me? You're not religious? You're telling me about Jesus and you're not religious? How can that be? Now I understand. What he meant was, he is not a person who is transfixed with religion and tradition and ritual, but someone who had a living relationship with God. I'm not advocating today that anyone becomes obsessed with religion. Because that's not what God wants you to be, but he does want you to know him. And by knowing him, you become obsessed with him. Not with religion, not with tradition, not with ritual. But with him. There's a very famous chapter in Matthew's gospel where Jesus proclaims woes upon the Pharisees. Really, really lays into them. What a surprise it must have been to that first century group of people. In Luke chapter 6, the next chapter that we were looking at today, 
He begins healing on the Sabbath. And all throughout that reading that Lee brought us earlier, you hear this. But the Pharisees said to him, what do you think you're doing? If you've been to a church and it was dead and you felt that God was not there, you were perhaps in the wrong church. Because God is a living God. We are not here meeting on Sundays to have a funeral for Jesus. We are here to meet with the risen Jesus. And some even today, some even stand behind pulpits, and I must be so careful what I say in the fear of God, but some who even stand behind pulpits, they have never met with God for themselves. To them he is still unknown. But the good news is, he can be known. Finally, having amazed the people with his friendships with the the sinful people and forgiving them and clearing them of their sins, by amazing people with his ability and his willingness to do the impossible, by amazing people with the fact that he was a God who could suffer And by amazing people, by differing with religion and tradition. Just finally, one more thing amazed the people. And it's this, that he had power over the forces of evil. You see, all the time, in the gospel accounts, as he traveled around, there had been those who had been involved in, I guess we don't really know what they were involved in, but we will, we, will, we, will, we will make a very broad statement to say, involved in occultic things, dark, dark things, magical things. And as a result of being involved in these things, they had become spiritually oppressed. And as Jesus came into contact with these evil forces, they couldn't bear to be in his, in his presence. And they would scream out, leave us alone. And with a word from Jesus, out, they would leave. And all throughout the accounts, on nearly every occasion, it says something like this. And the people were amazed. <laughs> they were amazed. Amazed. What new thing is this? They say in Mark chapter 1. With authority, he even commands evil spirits and they leave. They obey him. They were amazed. Amazed? Why were they amazed? They were amazed because they were religious people with an unknown God. Because in their understanding, God was not greater than the devil. You say, well, that that can't be what they thought. Of course, because they were amazed when they saw the devil running. One time I was in a car just around the corner from here. One of my stories coming up now. And as I was turning into one of the roads... The person next to me had had problems like this, sitting in the car. 
I'd want to say straight away, it was not a member of church staff. But a lady I'd been helping. And I was just driving, we just pulled in, and as I looked at her, her face began to change. Her face began to contort. Her eyes went straight into the, through into, into the back of her head. Her face turned into like a, a monstrous face. And she began to hiss and snarl, sitting in the passenger seat. Now, I've had people upset by my driving before. <laughs> this was a little new. And I looked and I said, what do you think you are doing? I rebuke you in the name. And as I began to say, in the name. She turned and fought with the door. Driving it out open, the passenger door open. Fleeing out of the car. And ran for her life down Devonshire Road. I quickly got out as quick as I can. Went to the edge. And as I looked down the street... She was there running. She had a big yellow jacket. She ran so fast, the jacket went up in the air. She looked like a sort of a superman. It looked like a cape. And all I said was, I rebuke you in the name of G. And she was gone. And as I ran to the edge of the road, I wanted to shout up, I didn't even say Zeus. One time that same person fell and became strange in front of me in this very room. And I said, what's what's happening? Who are you? And out of this girl came this strange sound. A voice out of her mouth, but not, not her voice. I am the spirit of doubt and unbelief. I said, well, I doubt you'll be around much longer. with a great curdling scream it was gone why should we be afraid why should we even conceive that the devil is greater than God what book are we reading hallelujah for this purpose was the son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one can you say amen Jesus was greater. The powers of evil, they were amazed by it. They shouldn't have been. And I want to tell you this, there's plenty of charismatics, Pentecostal people, they are so afraid of the devil, I wonder if they've ever met God. Because when you meet God, you're not afraid of anything anymore. How can you be afraid of anything anymore? Our God is greater. And he is greater than evil. And I finish with this. As we look around the world and we see evil. We see evil, don't we? All over the place. We see evil. We see evil triumphing in many places.
We see evil regimes existing, evil activity going on, seemingly with no justice, but there will be a day of justice. And our God will show himself to be greater than evil. Do you think that when the people met Jesus 2,000 years ago, they knew what to expect? They knew what they thought they would expect, but they were completely shocked. And I want to commend Jesus Christ to you today. I want to tell you that he is still shocking people today. He's still surprising people today. With his love for people like you and people like me. His willingness to forgive people like you and people like me. For all the trash that's gone on in our lives. His ability to answer prayer for people like you, people like me. I tell you, it's very surprising. His ability to have authority over evil in our hearts and oftentimes in our very very daily lives. His difference with religion and his, his ability to walk along with us suffering as we suffer. This is our God. This is Jesus. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.